It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this 22nd day of June, 2016. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser. And today... uh, we have uh, Dana Morgan, he's with Point Man there out of New York, and it's always a pleasure. It's been so long since we've had him on, but it's a pleasure to have him on again. Uh, how are you doing today, Dana? Oh, I'm I'm doing just fine, Cheryl, and thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure, and I apologize it's been so long, uh, but my land's fine. Before I know it, six months or a year's been gone. I don't know how it goes so fast. Well, uh, that's okay. I'm sure you had a bunch of questions you wanted to ask me, or I can ask you, or I can just tell you what we do. Well, tell us what you do. Uh, update the audience here. Had a membership now is up, uh, is it over 15,000, John? It's a lot. <laughs> well, we, we, we've we've got a lot of people that come and go. We've got 130 small groups across the country, and I believe we're in eight or nine foreign countries, including Vietnam and New Zealand and Australia and places like that. So, um, the the whole premise of Point Man is we've got little groups where, well, let me back up. In 1984. PTSD wasn't as well known, and there weren't all these experts as there are today. I mean, you can go on the internet and get thousands of hits for about PTSD information, but most of it's a rehash of what's been talked about and discussed since the early 80s. And, and in 1984, we had a um, a Seattle police officer was arresting the same guys every night for drunk and disorderly and stuff. Turned out they were all Vietnam veterans, and he started meeting with them in coffee shops, and that's how Point Man got started. And the, the whole idea was little groups where if you were having an issue, you could come and put your stuff on the table and in a non-judgmental setting, and you could work through it. And that evolved into a group leader would have a place where you could meet. He'd develop like a laundry list of places around his own area where people could actually get help, you know, hospitals and halfway houses and all the things that are necessary to get back on track. And we're all Christians and all military, former military. And those those are the only two criteria that we actually have to join uh, in a leadership position. And then what everything that we do do is free. We don't charge anything. We are a 501c3. However, we're not out actively soliciting contributions. You know, you see all these veterans charities and some of them have given each other a bad name because of their fundraising practices so we try and stay away from that and most of what we do is free to us and if we do have a project or something then it always seems that God puts it on people's heart to help us out and that's where we are there's some things that have come up since uh, the last time I was on it, maybe I could share. Oh, but yeah. It, one of the things that probably for 20 years has been hyperbaric oxygen treatment. And it's very helpful for current veterans with traumatic brain injuries. And what that is is you're put into like a little high-pressure chamber and fed 
100% oxygen for a certain amount of time, and it's at maybe 15 times normal air pressure. So the idea is oxygen gets into your system, gets into your tissue, and it promotes healing, regeneration of, you know, injured tissue and so forth, but also helps your brain. And I don't know how that works, you know, the actual physical part of it. But you're talking about between 40 and 80 treatments, and actually the VA has these units in just about all their major hospitals. And my VA doesn't use it. They just don't have anybody to do it, apparently. We had a guy come into one of our meetings who was an Iraq veteran, and he was paralyzed from the neck down, and they said he wouldn't move, couldn't do anything, this and that. We got him out to the uh, hospital in Palo Alto, California, and he stayed there for 40 treatments, and he showed some improvement. He's able to move his arms and some some physical activity, and now he, he's, he's got a power wheelchair that he can work with his hand and stuff, but he can also use a regular wheelchair with his arms, and he wasn't able to do that after he was originally hurt. So it, it's something that's can be used for not just traumatic brain injury, but for, um, oh, what do you get when you got diabetes? Neuropathy and, and those kinds of things. So that's one thing that we've got some of our outpost leaders are involved in that. If you remember having Jay McGee on, in, out where he is, they've got a big treatment center. It's called Rocky Mountain Hyperbaric Institute, and there's about a handful of Marines there that work with them, and they they recruit subjects and patients and help them with um, defray the cost and so on through the Marine Corps League. And let's see, what else do we have? Uh, suicides. We've got a outpost leader. Her name is Kathy Costos. And she's been chronicling PTSD, suicides, and the government's response to both since 1982. And she's been around this stuff more than probably anybody that I know personally. And she's got a website that chronicles all this stuff. And she's got 26,000 posts about PTSD and PTSD-related information and suicide prevention and all the money that the government's thrown at it and doesn't seem to be working. What else is going on? We've got a guy in Louisiana that takes in homeless vets, and he's got a bunch of little cabins on a lake and, and so forth. I don't think that was going on when I talked to you last. Um, uh, it, it, uh, Dana, uh, you know, from doing the broadcast here for so long, one thing we've noticed is that there are so many different levels of PTSD. And I'm wondering... Uh, do you have any idea or do you know if if uh, the VA is ever going to approach PTSD on the different levels uh, that they are? Uh, you know, truthfully, now, I, I don't know that. The, the VA, each VA hospital seems to be its own little kingdom. And, and on a personal level, I'm not sure that you get exactly the same treatment everywhere. In Topeka, Kansas, they have this really great program for PTSD, and they let one of our outposts participate in it ever since 1996, I believe. 
and were part of their PTSD program, and the veteran that's being treated can opt in to be part of what Point Man does or not be involved at all. And I believe 96% of the people that go through the Point Man portion don't come back. And they seem to be able to go on with their life. And then the ones that don't, it's almost the exact opposite. Uh, Yeah, I think a lot of that, they don't want to own up to, they do have a serious issue, and some of them, too many of them want to self-medicate, and if you can get them away from that self-medication and get the proper counseling, uh, I can see Point Man coming in there with the proper counseling, because you guys have lived through this, and you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 they uh, when you tell them something and they they said well my land uh, that that's what happened to me <laughs> you know uh, I can see that uh, but I'm still concerned because the VA tries to tries to put them all in the same basket, and I don't believe they are. I believe there's a lot of different grades of PTSD that and should be, you know, if they could figure it out, it takes someone smarter than I am. But, uh, uh, I mean, uh, there's there's got to be a grading process of some sort that... Uh, uh, that they can utilize at least uh, start to where they can go in and and say, look, you're the level two or you're the level three. And uh, oh, you mean you mean like we, cancer treatment, like stage yeah, three and stage yeah, four? Similar. I mean, uh, for lack of a better, you know, better words. Uh, well, I think that it would be a simple solution. You've got. When you, when you go to the VA, you know, it's been a long time since I originally went. And I think the first time I went was in 69. They told me I wasn't in a real war, so I got a bad attitude, and I said I wouldn't come back. So the <laughs> next time I dropped in was 93, and I was there for some physical problems. And then they sent me to a mental health professional. And I got a screening, and they said, oh, you have PTSD. And I said, well, that's not why I came here. And they said, well, here you go. And so I started talking to different people, but I had already been involved in Point Man. And I told them what we did, and I didn't tell them I was ahead of it, but I said, this is what we do, and we have meetings every week, and we don't offer counseling, but we operate similar to the um, Alcoholics Anonymous, where you have a group meeting and everybody gets to share. And, and if you get an issue, you know, we'll help you get to the VA, for example. And since we've already been to the VA, some guys are reluctant to go. And you say, well, we'll go with you and do whatever it takes, because we don't want anybody hurting themselves. And a lot of times all you need to do is talk and be able to listen. And I think the listening is probably more important than the talking. A lot of times I have to agree with that, yeah. Uh, because when you hear someone else's story and, and you have one similar, you can relate to them and uh, I say, you know, I'm not in this this mess uh, all by myself. There's a lot of people, a lot of veterans, other veterans that's having the same issues, and and maybe there is hope. You know, hey. once once they understand there's hope, and and they can somehow get on with their lives with a little bit of effort. Uh, uh, I believe most veterans will take that. And, and they do. 
Here's something that happened a couple weeks ago. We got an outpost leader in Burnt Oak, Georgia, okay? And the sheriff's department called him up and says, you know, we know that you work with veterans, and we just got a call from a fellow in Texas. And he said that his friend was planning on killing himself, and he was close by where our guy was. And so... Our guy actually got in his car, went over to this guy's house. He says uh, he always packs, but he left it in the car. And he sat with a guy for several hours, and this fellow confided in him that his plan was to meet the police at the door and wave his pistol at him and get shot, and he'd be done. So he talked him out of that and told him he'd meet with him whatever times it took and told him he'd come and pick him up for church and <laughs> prayed for him and took his handgun. Mm-hmm. And he said he'll bring it back when you're ready. And it all worked out. Sometimes and, and it didn't take him much. Uh, took a, well, it's a good thing he did. Uh what he did, he saved that guy's life and maybe someone else's. Well, sure, you don't know. He might have you don't know. fired the first shot, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That's what it takes. Uh, one veteran helping another, and that's... Unfortunately, it's one at a time. It's uh, one-on-one. Uh, sometimes it comes down to that. Well, it's true. Some some guys won't come out of their house. Right. Some you know, you, you're not going to be able to break through to, and and that's so unfortunate. So unfortunate. So, Dana, how long did it take yes. you to build Point Man up to? How long did it take you to build a Point Man up to where to where it is now? Oh, I've been. In charge since 1999, and the fellow before me started in 1991 or two, and the fellow that actually started it, he died from an Agent Orange problem in '87, I think, and then there was another fellow that took over and built it into the outpost system that we have today. You know, over about a three-year period. So it, it's been on since 84. Wow, that's a good while. Yeah, yeah. And, and what we've got now is probably about a third of our outpost leaders are Iraq or Afghanistan veterans and some Desert Storm. Some of the older guys are we still got older guys starting new groups at this stage of their life, but we've got young guys that are on fire that are volunteering, stepping up. and We've got a 1-800 number. It's 1-800-877-8387, and we've had that since the 90s. The fellow that takes care of that now is an Iraq veteran. And he was, he's disabled from the war, but he's able to uh, take care of the things that we need. And what he does, let's see, I think 2004 is when he left Iraq. So he's he's been a veteran for a long time. <laughs> But you, you just you just don't know. We, we've got uh, a book bunker where we sell some witnessing materials and PTSD information, and, and the guy that runs that is a, an Iraq veteran also, who actually got shot in the head in during the war and died twice, and um, spent almost two years in the hospital at Walter Reed. And, but he's up and around and. 
he's driven up here from southern Ohio a couple times, and he's doing real well. That's, that's unreal. Yeah. It, it when when he he got shot in the head with AK forty seven. Good grief. And they thought he was a goner, of course. And, and he says he died a couple times, and he was in and out of consciousness. And then when they got him off the battlefield, he woke up in Germany. And his mom was there, so he doesn't know how long he was out. And that's that sad. You know, one of, one of the other things we do at different events, like, at Memorial Day and uh, Veterans Day in Washington, we set up a tent on the mall near the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, and we pass out materials and Bibles and stuff. We've got a Bible that we give out that's got 10 pages of PTSD information in the front of it. It's a, a New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs in it, but the PTSD information is right out of the money. We had some guys drop over from Walter Reed. They were they gave him a day pass to come walk around and they said that they'd sit up at night reading the information in the Bible. Of course the Bible too, but the PTSD information they said it was more information that they had got from the people in charge. And so we gave him a handful to take back, and and that's the way that worked out. But those those are some of the things we do. You know, we have stand downs in different locations in the country, and we've got one coming up here in the end of August. We just had one in Michigan a couple weeks ago. I think, yeah. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago. However long it's been since Memorial Day, three weeks. So, what else is going on? We've been we've been really busy, and, and we have some guys that um, are we're, we're getting to that age where you don't live anymore, and so we've had some of our outpost leaders have passed away and, but there's always been somebody to step up and fill in for them so yeah it's I think all, I have a good group I imagine they have someone ready to step in the position but that's sad when you lose your leaders I know we've seen so many come and go and I know you have too and I believe every single one of them has had some kind of Agent Orange-related cancer. And the younger ones get some kind of a brain tumor from depleted uranium. Yes. Is, is what they blame it on. Because uh, we've had some guys that are in their 30s that have gotten brain tumors from depleted uranium. And of course, it doesn't matter how old you are, it's always too soon. Yeah, it seems that way. Uh, yeah, we just lost one here not that long ago, was it, John? No stretch. Uh, Mike Sasser, he was our technician on the show, and he died. Uh, it was uh, last year, about this time. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I think it was like nice uh, guy. In fact, it's getting close to anniversary, Joe, stretches. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it seems like veterans die much too young. Uh, a lot of times, uh, in reference to the rest of the population. Uh, whether you was in a combat zone or not, uh, you know. Uh, I'm, of course, if you were, the chances are you're going to die sooner. 
but uh, just being in the service uh, seems to be a health risk for a lot of people. Well, you don't know what you might have been exposed to. Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, that exposure issue, my land, uh, and back when we were in the service, I was in in the 60s, and, uh, they were just, uh, you know, they didn't care about nothing. Didn't, uh, any kind of chemical or agent or something, I'd seen them take oil out and solvents and pour it on the ground behind the motor pools or you know, everything. They did everything. Well I had there a reason to have it. Oh, that's true. It's true. It's it's horrible. You just don't know. And even if you were exposed to something, you may never know. And if uh you were suppose you got some kind of an illness that's been linked to say Agent Orange or some other chemical. They say, well, you were never exposed to that. Yes. Because there's nothing in your service record. You're absolutely right. I'm fighting that battle now, and uh, have been for years. Even though they admit it, uh, they say, well, it couldn't have been caused by that. So... uh, I'm not the only one. That's all through the uh, uh, poor veterans. You know, a lot of them uh, that jet fuel and uh, or you know solvents. The list is endless uh, to what they have used and exposed veterans to that can cause uh, uh, different types of cancers and and. it's no wonder so many of them end up with PTSD. They start uh, trying to file a claim. They finally pan it down. This had to happen when I was in the service. They file a claim, and then right away they find <laughs> they're dealing with a bunch of people who's not so so good old boys. Uh, they'll, uh, they'll do them under in a heartbeat. And... Uh, then you got a, a a veteran that uh, becomes depressed, and anxiety eats them up, and and before you know it, their families are falling apart, and, and then we we start. To, I think it involves into some kind of PTSD uh, symptoms or whatever you want to call it. I don't know what be the proper terminology, but. Uh, it's a, well, it's, you know, one, it's, of, one of the things good. I think a person can do to help their mindset is to get out and do something um, related to helping another veteran. And I, and I don't care what it is. It could be meeting guys for lunch that aren't as well off as you or picking up a guy and taking him down to the VA, doing stuff like that. And pretty soon you get doing stuff and you're seeing other people have more issues than you have. And even if you've got a horrible story and everything seems to be going wrong, there's something you can do. And you should just get out and try and do it. And you know what? If If you take little steps at a time, pretty soon you can take a bigger one. And, I agree and not, with not, that. Not all, not all your efforts are going to be positive, you know. It's, <laughs> but you, you, it's don't give up and don't quit trying. My I goodness. always try to help. I uh, I have the same philosophy, uh, Dana. I I believe you should build. You know, you don't have to fly to the moon for them. But you can at least reach out a helping hand and do whatever you can. Uh, uh, you can't always do what you want or do as much as you want for them, but let them know you're there for them and let them know that there is hope. Uh, without hope, you don't have nothing. And uh, uh, by golly, uh, that that's what they need is 
if someone sometimes just staring them in the right direction it can mean a whole lot. A good piece of advice or something, you know. I I used to go to uh there's there's a prison about fifty five miles from my house. So I'd get home from work, take a quick shower, jump in a car, head out to the jail. And I didn't realize how much that meant to some of these guys, because we had, we had an appointment group inside, and there was maybe twenty five, thirty guys that were attending it from you know different times, and and I couldn't believe it. A lot of these guys stayed in touch with me after they got out, you know, to let me know they were doing okay and stuff, and. I mean, some of these guys did some really bad stuff, but they're all good guys, you know, it's, if that makes sense. And it was just important that to them, you know, they just didn't have anybody. Some of them didn't have any family that came to see them. And this particular jail is out in the middle of a cornfield in the middle of nowhere, and they had... 2,200 people in it. In in New York State, they have a, a veterans program, PTSD program, and it was located at this jail. And we had pretty good access to the prison, and we were able to uh, meet with the guys. And the same same story, and. We'd have our meetings, and whatever was said in a meeting stayed in a meeting, and so on. And, and it and it helped a lot of people. And in ten years, there wasn't anybody that was put back in the prison system for a violation or a new crime that was in our group. That's and we'd good. Lose, we'd lose probably five or six people a year and either get parole or just an outright release. So I that was pretty good. It was a good group. The uh, good with that. The, the warden told me that uh, he didn't know what we were doing over there but to keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought well, that was pretty good. Once, once a person realizes they're, they're not alone in some of these situations, uh, and they can learn to lean on one another and help each other. One one day one guy's strong, maybe the next day the other guy's stronger. Or, you know, that uh, that means a lot. And, and uh, two being in a group is like being on a team, I I would think. And uh, teamwork's important once you realize your team depends on you too. Uh, I think that that carries a lot of weight with with everyone. Well, I think it's like being in a platoon or something, and a yeah. couple squads, and you're going out. Everybody's got to support one another, but. Not everybody's up 100% every single time, so you kind of carry the other guy, and then when you're not so hot, they help you along. So I believe that's it. Yeah, I really do. Uh, and you're not always 100% every day. No. <laughs> you're not 100% every single day. You can try, but... I know I'm sure not. Uh and probably never have been. <laughs> well, it's it's like your radio program. It's not just you doing it. It's it's yeah. all the people that support you at the at the studio and your oh, producer yeah. and your technicians. And and if one person didn't do what they were supposed to, we wouldn't be hearing you. Well, that's true. And uh, we've had some good people uh, working on this over the years. I remember when I first started, I, I think I was talking to myself, but 
it sure changed over the years. And then after I got affiliated with added it, it even grew, blossomed into something, I think, much better. And, uh, uh, you know, we've we've had uh, certainly had some great people affiliated with with the program and uh through that I hope it uh, continues to gather and relay helpful information to veterans uh on their uh you know we try to concentrate on data information that'll help them with the claims process or whatever and we just have a variety of guests, so uh, we cover about every base there is to cover. The claims process. I filed a claim once in 1993, and my goodness, it took until 2010, I think, to get fully mm-hmm. settled. We've been down the same road. <laughs> same year. They, when, when I started, they gave me 10% for something I actually didn't file for. Yeah. <laughs> and they rejected everything else. Oh, oh it's somebody oh, else's yeah. information in your record. Yeah. They're, uh, they haven't changed, Dana. But then, no, I've gotten worse. I've written buddy letters for guys who were in my squad uh, from the time they filed until the time that uh, they got a adjudication, I guess you call it, a response. It was only a few months. So, and they had the exact same experiences as me because I was standing next to them. So that's how I know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I really disagree with this individual thing that the VA has come up with. Like you said, if someone's standing right there beside you, he went through the same thing you did, practically, and uh, he shouldn't have to prove his case up individually. I just really disagree with that. Well, what what I did it, from my claim. I just rewrote the uh, the events. <laughs> you know, I didn't add anything, didn't take anything away. I just took my name out and put theirs in. Yeah. Well. Oh, please keep yeah, in mind. It, it took years. Please keep in mind, guys, if you're actually in a combat situation, a combat, there's a federal law on the the reg state that they're supposed to take your word for your condition and having to run around and for combat getting buddy letters and things like that should be uh should be outlawed you guys shouldn't have you shouldn't have to be able to do that that's not uh, the way the system was designed to be but that's the way the va has turned it into so just a little heads up on that that's you know, we pound them every day with this stuff. You know, we have a lot of people who have a lot of different issues, and uh, you know, we've got several several thousand members at the site now. And it's just uh, Vietnam vets. You know, they're getting older every day, and uh, we have a lot of them leaving. The, they leave the world every day too. You know, because of aging mm-hmm. illnesses and other stuff. Because it's it's bad. I mean, one of my best friends in the world was an in-country Vietnam vet, and uh, was healthy as he could be. He worked for the VA himself as a x-ray tech for 30 some years and he retired and he went back to working part-time because he's under the civil service retirement system and he didn't pay any social security and he's wanting to pay some social security and so he could draw a little bit of social security and get his medicare and stuff and uh he went back to work and uh we was fishing one day and he collapsed on a boat ramp and we rushed him out and got him they got him to his wife and to the hospital and he uh he had uh his heart Aorta was about the size of a pencil, and uh, so they did a heart cath on him. Stuff done that, and they found blockages in his, uh, you know, in, in his arteries and stuff. And uh, so they operated on, fixed him up, and uh, we filed his claim, and he got awarded ischemic heart disease in less than three months. 
<laughs> so oh, that's, you know, that's one time it did work, yeah. And uh, so he's, you well, know, he's, right sometimes now he's, you hear about how it works perfectly, and then other times, yeah. not so much. Well, did you guys did you guys see the new uh, acting VA benefits undersecretary that they just appointed? Says Agent Orange is harmless. <laughs> oh, oh. I got a feeling. I got a feeling there's going to be another vacancy pretty soon then. Yeah, this oh, this man. guy. Um, and and the reason he was saying that is, you know, the the Blue Water Navy and the C-123 veterans. There, here's the guy that's been denying their claims as a blanket denial. Oh man! Yeah. So just just throwing it out there, you might want to check I, uh, this guy out. I read Let's where go, he uh, appointed a new one because that one. Yeah, his uh, his name is Murphy. Well, let me see if I can. I think, okay. Thomas Murphy. Murphy will have his Thomas Murphy will have his job until January twenty first, two thousand seventeen. Ooh. He can do a lot of damage between now and then. Yeah, that's true. He was the now director of uh, CNP, and now he's the undersecretary for benefits. God, that, that's not good news at all. That poor Blue Water Navy, I'm afraid they're just... Yeah, so, sometimes they're okay, and sometimes, you know, can't possibly be, and I don't understand it. Either it is or it isn't. They well, they're trying to split hairs. They're trying to split hairs. It's ge- geographical location. They're trying to say that if you were off the coast and you were on a blue water ship, you know, you wouldn't expose Agent Orange. But... You know, it rains a lot over there in Vietnam, and all that stuff washed right into the rivers and streams, right out in the Gulf and the end of the harbors. And then ships mm-hmm. were sucking up the water. You know, they they were distilling water, making drinking water, and taking showers and stuff. And then they were having swim call in it. If if yeah. you were to go on the internet right now and look at Google Earth, and then look at Da Nang and the airport, right next to the airport is where they stored Agent Orange. There's like a yellowy kind of fence around the airport. One of those ones that looks like a stucco fence. And there's these big areas that just looks like red-orange clay. And that's where the Agent Orange was stored. And, of course, broken into and sprayed all over. And there's still nothing growing there. Yeah, that's definitely a... And it's right next to the... Yeah, it's right next to the Da Nang River, and it goes right out to the ocean. Well, that's Charlie. So that would be the Charlie most concentrated the spot. Charlie liked to hide in the trees. They wanted to get the yeah. foliage off the trees so they could find Charlie. Mm-hmm. Old days, well, now they, it's different. Yeah. they done some figuring. I know John Rossi was working on that, John Wells and them guys. Uh uh, I think John Rossi was telling me they had pretty well proved up that it, uh, from them streams and all the runoff and everything, washed so far out into the ocean. And here they were drinking that water. And they said the one thing that they couldn't filter out was the uh, uh, agents and Agent Orange, the different... Mixtures. So the first then, time I oh, go ahead. Uh, so, uh, you know they they thought that they was going to be successful this time. My hands, ever since I know them, they've been trying to get a, a bill going. Now we followed through. That's because most of your Congress and senators are non-veteran in there. They don't have a veteran care, you know. Yeah, that's it's true. I think the very first time uh, I had a blood test for Agent Orange, 
they said I, I had X amount of dioxin in my blood. All right, so many parts per billion or trillion, whatever it may have been. But it was still more than, remember, at Times Beach down south where they dug up all the ground and hauled it away because somebody sprayed Agent Orange on the road? Do you remember that? Oh, I had, yeah. I had more <laughs> in, in, in my blood than what was in the dirt that they hauled away that they were all worried about kids getting birth defects and stuff. And so it makes you wonder... What's it going to do to any kids you might have and so on? And I mean, it's a horrible thing. And I'm yeah. guessing it would take three or four generations for that to straighten itself out. But that's uh, only me talking. Someone told me one time they can go eight generations deep. Now, I don't know where all that uh, data come from, but uh, once you... Once you uh, mess up the DNA, I guess, uh, it can go quite a while if it ever gets squared back away. I don't know. I, yeah, think that's that's that. I, I, don't, I don't know that either. That's, I had a PTSD vet friend, and uh, he worked at a tire shop. He was one of the service riders to write your orders up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought he was noting a fruitcake, and I, and I got talking to him, and he was on the USS Mars, which was a, a ammunition and a, a, a supply ship, you know. And uh, he told me that, uh, you know, he'd filed his claim and they kept denying him because they said his ship never never made port or docked. And uh, he, he called him a bunch of liars and went off on them, and they tried to get him in trouble, you know, because he's a pretty violent person with them. And come to find out, actually, the ship docked, and he was on the working party to go out and get bodies and take them to Japan. And uh, so they had to back up and pay him because we, I mean, we proved that the Mars had docked several times because we went and got the records on the Mars, you know. And so they had that ship to the list, and there's a lot of people in that same situation. Oh, I, I firmly believe that. Last week, John, we had uh, James Cripps and... Uh, uh, who was that with him, Ray? Uh, Ray. On, uh, now, he had proved up on another post. What post was that, Fort McClellan? No, Am Fort Jackson. Right? Fort Jackson. I think it's in Fort, yeah, Fort Jackson. He was the game warden on Fort more. Jackson. Well, now, wait, Cripps was uh, at Fort Jackson, I think. Yeah, uh, Ray Jackson. was at Port McClellan, I think, yeah. wasn't he? I'm trying to remember. My memory. Yeah, memory. you're right. <laughs> you're right. Cripps was a game warden at Fort Jackson, and he would go around spraying Agent Orange on the ponds to keep the weeds out, you know, to get the weeds around the ponds, because basically that was part of the recreation of guys like to fish in the ponds. And he sprayed it, and uh, he put the head, a little shed that he had the stuff in out there in the boonies. And uh, fortunately, he filed his claim because he got all these diseases. And uh, he actually uh, got back on post and was talking to some people. And they took him out there. And he had, a, I think, he had a film crew with him. And he went back out and he found the building he had that he went into. Still had a key to it, and Agent Orange was inside the building. <laughs> he had the key. That's something. He still had the key to it. They ain't been in that building in what thirty years, forty <laughs> yeah. years. He proved direct exposure. Yeah. And I think Ray uh, did the, he was able to prove, well, no, his was so many uh, uh, different uh, cancers and things or something that yeah. he had, uh, tumors uh, that was associated with Agent Orange. That they had to pay him up on direct exposure. I think that was Fort McClellan. Well, I think any so, service member who was at there in Fort Jackson and fished those ponds, I'll be able to get their 80 North claim put through, too. Well, you know, I thought that, too, John. I don't know why we yeah. haven't heard more winning claims there at Fort Jackson, but uh, that's a legitimate claim, I would say. I would say so. I'd say so, but, again, you're looking at the VA. And the difference between the, the CONUS exposure and Vietnam exposure is 
continental U.S. exposure, there's no presumption, so you have to prove each individual item. Yeah, you have to prove direct exposure. Yep, so. Which I think is unfair. Once it's been proven up, it should be good for anyone that, you know, if they can prove they were at, there at the at the facility fishing uh, through photographs or whatever. Uh, That's true. They they should shouldn't be any hassle, but same thing both for the Navy as Bessis, you know, Gerald. Yeah, I know. Same uh, same treatment both for the Bessis guys, you know, because they're on a ship and you know yeah. there's the Bessis floating around in the air and stuff. People, you know, it, they rip pipes all the time, you know, and they can't prove they're exposed to it. They're dying them, you know. They've got mesothelioma and there's Bessis related cancers and stuff, and they're getting denied. The only people I know that's got their claims awarded is the one that actually worked with it. You know, the insulators, <clears throat> people actually put it on the pipes and removed it and stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, that part doesn't make sense either. Those pipes split all the time. Those oh, yeah. pipes. Lagging on them, you know. They, and they have to replace steam lines anyways. They get, you know, dilapidated. You know, I remember I've been down in a submarine Inside, taking out asbestos and ripping out pipes and stuff because, you know, things. I, we even had people flood the flood circumference of a submarine by turning the wrong valve, and you have to replace them all. So. Well, just, it, it, well, you know what they say: one fiber can kill you, and then other people might be an installer, smoked and installed asbestos all the time for their whole life and died in an old age. It's it's really strange. <laughs> it is strange. I, I, I worked at a factory where there was asbestos and I didn't know it. Yeah. And they had to have all these different government agencies come in and a special mm-hmm. contractor and negative air yeah. flows and all this stuff and Oh, you got to do air sampling tests and everything. You got to do containment. But they broke that down into a system to where the different types of asbestos that were used, and depending mm-hmm. on what the material was, it, the, the, they've got a list now of asbestos and how deadly it is. You've got African amosite, that's the worst. That, and they've got some, you know, and they've got uh, chrysotile and other ones that are still kill you. But the fibers are bigger, so they don't, you know, you won't ingest them as much. But the amosite was was microscopic, and it would go through, you know, it it it'd float right into your lungs, and you wouldn't know it. So, uh, and the other stuff, they said, were big enough that were, you know, your your nose might have caught most of it. And so, that's why they're, they're saying that people, you know, depends on the exposure of the type that's best. Yeah. Fire. Okay. Thanks to. Uh, our DOD, all the ships that we served on and stuff back years ago, they're either cut up in scrap metal or at the bottom of one of the oceans. In Operation Sinkex, they put them down in a hurry. I guess if we call that height, they've destroyed the evidence, if you know what I mean. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but, uh, it's all, it's supposed to be an un, un- adversarial system, but it turned out to be the most adversarial thing I've ever seen in my life. Well, all it, your old barracks, is, uh, as well as your ships, all your old barracks is that were heat with steam heat or or something like that, uh, those, those, all those pipes were asbestos wrapped. I, I know the ones I was in in Alaska was, and people sticking them coat hangers in them and cutting holes in them, you know. Uh A pretty sad deal. I'm wondering yes, how many of those guys, how many of those guys ended up with uh, uh, asbestos lungs. Probably a lot of them, all over the place. The service was just a uh, dangerous place to be. That's yeah, that's, that's true. 
And I suspect it's uh, maybe a little better now. I, I think people are better educated in these types of of uh, uh, dangers than, than probably we were when we were in there. We never thought nothing yeah. about it. Yeah, all 46 of them. Yeah. You know, I, I think at our age, at that time, you thought, why would the government tell you a story? Didn't know any better. Oh, <laughs> you would never, ever convince me the government did anything but me in harm's way. Uh, you know, that, unless they'd send me to Vietnam and they didn't do that, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you take the T out of trust, what are you left with? <laughs> <laughs> Rust. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, uh, you know, of course, now look at the Gulf War vets and the ones that's over in the Middle East now. That's not a safe place. My land, I guess there's so much contamination over there. It's, it's horrible. So, one, one, of, one of our outpost leaders was on a patrol, and they went into a house, and they went down in the basement, and the wall looked funny, and one of them kicked it. And it turned out it was a false wall, and there was these big rooms full of barrels. And it was chemicals for some kind of chemical warfare, and they were leaking. And by the time they got out of the basement, their skin started bubbling up, okay? Oh, mustard gas. And so what they did was they set up a perimeter, and he says, overnight... All these guys in white hazmat suits came by, and everything disappeared, all gone. And these guys were sick for a little while, and they don't know if whatever's wrong with them now is part of that, but he says their skin just bubbled right up, and they got these blisters on them and stuff, and sure enough, it's not in any of their record books. And these yeah. guys were all National Guard, and they were attached to the first calf. You're and this would have been in 2004. And when they go in, in about 15, 20 years with severe respiratory problems, they're going to say, it didn't happen here. Well, no, and and I think... When they take pictures of it. <laughs> And I and I think that, well, they they all the barrels and everything just disappeared overnight, like it never happened. And I don't know if they were told it didn't happen then or not. I I don't remember that part of the story. I would what hope I that they had all write each other buddy statements right now, while it's fresh on the you know pretty fresh on their minds and. And have the dates and everything, uh, because uh, I assure you, later on, it's going to come and get them. Well, since 2004, all you hear is there was no chemical weapons. Well, we all know there was, though. Well, yeah, we know uh, that. But uh, proving it for your own case is going to be a lot harder. Nearly impossible. I was involved in that testing back in the 60s, and, boy, they fight you tooth and nail. Fight you tooth and nail. And uh, this will be no different. And as soon as we heard about all them burn pits and stuff, we we already know that them poor veterans are going to have a rough road to hoe, and they're going to need a lot of help. Yeah, they've they've got neurological problems already and respiratory oh. problems. and Yeah, they'll start shaking. They're, they're going to have multiple, multiple uh, uh, ailments, uh, respiratory and... 
lot of them are larynx, GERD. Well, Gerald Buddy would be out of time. <laughs> a lot of neurological problems. There again, we come back in, they'll have brain lesions, a lot of them. Well, Dana, yeah. we're, we're out of time. I'm sorry. Well, it, it's okay. A, I appreciate you it, guys calling. This has been a good show. All right. Uh, hopefully we'll get you back on here a lot sooner. <laughs> well, and I we, hope so, too. We really yeah, I've got other volunteers that would be happy to talk. Well, uh, send me uh, some of their... Names and numbers, and I'll be glad to have them on. A lot of them know uh, a lot more than I do, so. Uh, well, I think you know a lot, and and I tell you what, the work you do is really appreciated, and I appreciate you out there. Well, I think about the uh, point man a lot, and and uh, I wanted to get you on. So I see you put my picture up on Facebook, on your Facebook. Yeah, yeah, I have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, okie so, doke. So with that, uh, this will be Gerald Cook with Jay Bassett. We'll be signing off for now. Good night, fellas. You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Bastard Show. <laughs>